Let's go ahead and open up our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And we're going to try to finish this chapter today as we approach the table of communion. I think this is a very timely message in regards to our hearts and examination before we go to communion. But it says here now from chapters about 8 till 10, Paul is talking about Christian liberties. And I think it's very important that we focus on what Christian liberties we have and what Christian liberties we don't have. (laughs) And it's so important that we talk about that, that we examine that because yes, we have liberties, but they're in the limits of love. If it doesn't, if your liberty doesn't show love, then really it it doesn't, it's not your liberty. And yes, you have a freedom in Christ. Yes, you have freedoms in the Lord. But just because you have freedoms doesn't mean you don't have boundaries. And I want you to remember that today. Just because you have freedoms, it does not mean that you do not have boundaries. And before you participate in anything or attend a certain activity or event, you have to ask yourself, is this a weight or is this a wing? (laughs) Does this hold me down or does this lift me up closer to the Lord? Does this company hold me down or does this company now maybe lift me up to the Lord? Because our Christian life is to live, be lived boldly. And a life that maintains absolutely clear principles. Your life as a Christian should absolutely maintain these cut clear principles and that we never compromise when it comes to principles. These are cut clear principles that we don't compromise. We don't want to bring a disgrace to ourselves. We don't want to bring a disaster to other people. And we don't want to dishonor God. When you start to compromise in principles, you bring disgrace upon yourself. You start to bring a disaster upon the people that are around you. And then you also start to dishonor God. And I pray that this message would teach you how to act or how to react. It will help you when it comes to the choices that you make and the company that you keep. And that there would be guidelines to assist you in these areas when it comes to Christian liberties. Yes, I have freedom, but I also have boundaries. In today's text, we're going to go over three major points. I'm going to give you those three major points right now for those of you that love taking notes. The first point is that we are called to live in separation unto God. To live in separation unto God. You are called to live separate unto God. You used to live separated from Him. Now you're separated for Him. You are called to live separated unto God. Number two, you're called to live a sacrificial life for other people. Not only are we called to live in separation unto God, but we're also called to live sacrificially for other people. Live sacrificially for other people. And number three, we are called to have a single-minded purpose. A single-minded purpose. That means one purpose in your mind. A single-minded purpose. Here it is. For the glory of God. A single-minded purpose that is for the glory of God. Number one, I want to live separated for God. I want to live a life that sacrifice 
sing for other people. And I want to have a single-minded purpose for the glory of God when it comes to my Christian liberties and when it comes to what I choose to do and when it comes to do what I choose not to do. When it comes to what I participate and what I don't participate. Because those things determine who I am at the core of who I am and whether or not my life is glorifying God. And today we have to ask ourselves, we have to make a decision. Will I live a life to glorify God or will I live a life to glorify self? And here he's going to talk about idolatry. Idolatry is so important that we mention. And he's going to say, flee from idolatry. Free from it. Flee from it. That you would be free from it as well. <laughs> flee from it and be free from idolatry. What is idolatry? It's a lifestyle that caters to your flesh. It's a lifestyle that caters to your flesh. That's what idolatry means. It's a lifestyle that's all about you, that caters to your flesh, to your pleasures, to your wants, maybe to a vice, to an addiction. That's what idolatry is. Idolatry is worship of something other than the true God and something other than the true way. So if anything, you're worshiping anything that's not the true God and not the true way, then that is also idolatry. And he's saying, I want you to escape it. I want you to free, flee from it and be free from idolatry. It's been said before. When idolatry and where idolatry ends, Christianity begins. And where idolatry begins, that is where Christianity ends. You see, who do you worship today? Do you worship self or do you worship the Lord? Here in 1 Corinthians 10 verse 14, it goes on, Therefore, my beloved, he loves them and he tells them to be careful when it comes to your Christian liberties, what to participate and what not to participate. And he says, therefore, with that being said, my beloved or those that I love, the church, the loved ones, my brothers and my sisters, flee from idolatry. Flee from it. Run away from it. Escape it. Have nothing to do with idolatry. Nothing to do with worship other than the true God. Nothing to do with worship other than the true way. Are we worshiping anything other than the true God in the true way and giving our attention or, or maybe our time, maybe our resources, our emotions, our feelings over than the true way and the true God? It says, flee from idolatry, run away, escape it. And then in verse 15, I speak as to wise men, judge for yourselves what I say. I'm speaking to you that have experienced Corinthians. I'm speaking to you that have education now. And he's saying, I'm speaking to you, decide if what I'm saying is true. He's going to give you the now opportunity to decide for yourself, specifically to the Corinthians here, that had the wisdom and the education in God's Word. And this is what he's saying, I speak to you as wise. The cup of blessing, verse 16, uh, here, verse 16, which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? The communion that we're about to take today, that when we break it and the cup of the, uh, that we signifies and allows us to remember the blood of Christ, isn't that now the fellowship with the Lord? Isn't that now communion, the cup of the blood and the bread that we take? Isn't that participating and, and partaking of the communion and the fellowship with God that we are becoming one with God when we take communion? We're, we're declaring that we have fellowship with His body, that we have fellowship with the Lord. And he's, right now what He's doing is He's painting a picture for them that we share now together in unity and in fellowship as we come to the table of communion. We are sharing in communion 
We are sharing in unity, in fellowship, in intimacy with the blood and with the cup and with the bread of the Lord Jesus. And it says, For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we are all partake, we all partake of that one bread. We're all sharing of it together. We're demonstrating unity not only with one another, but we're also demonstrating unity and fellowship with God as we do this. Observe Israel after the flesh are not those who eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. Did not Israel as well, as they were united at the altar in one body together, there at the altar as they were there, were they not united because of the communion? Were they not united even Israel, a nation, now? He's given an example over to them. But now when He explains this to us, that when we fellowship with the Lord, when we take communion now, we're fellowshipping with the Lord. When He explains this, He wants to give you a contrast now. After He's painted that picture, He gives you a contrast so that we would know why it's important to flee idolatry. Why it's important to be free from idolatry. And it says in verse 19, What am I saying then? That an idol is anything, here in verse 19, or what is offered to idols is anything. Now, am I saying now that an idol is real? Am I saying now that maybe idolatry or what's offered to them, or are they real gods? Am I saying that now when someone offers now, uh, you know, food and in these meats that are given over to idolatry, am I, am, I, am I saying that they have real significance or that they're real gods? I'm not saying that at all. Before you already established, some people offer certain foods to idols and then offer it to you. Understand that those are false gods. You have the liberty to participate and eat that food. Now he wants to make sure that he's not contradicting himself here. And he's saying those still have no real meaning. Those still have no real significance. Those idols and the shrines that people have built for themselves. But now he goes on and he says in verse 20, Rather that these things which the Gentiles sacrifice... They sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. Now what is he saying? It's not about the food, it's about the practice. It's not about the food, it's about the participation. It's not really about the food, it's about the atmosphere. And he's saying it's not about the food, it's that those foods are being offered to demons. And I want you to be very careful as to where you affiliate yourself. You see, now eating at the table of pagan temples and restaurants was not as innocent as it seemed that it would be to them. And sometimes we think that there's no real harm. Sometimes we think that there's no real, now, danger. But do you know the danger and the harm that comes by affiliation? That comes by, now, participation? The New Living Translation reads this, this says, Not at all, I'm not saying that these are sacrifices offered to demons and not to gods. I don't want you to participate with the practice of demons. You see, it had to do with the atmosphere. It had to do with the fellowship. It had to do with the fact that they were offering this to a demonic practice. And he said, I want you to avoid this such practice. It wasn't necessarily about the issue of the food. The issue was the idol worship and the idol atmosphere that was taking place. Now, what is the meaning and the point of why he's trying to say this? What is the reason why he's trying to now give emphasis now to the atmosphere of something that is not promoting now and giving glory to God? Why? Because it's impossible to belong to God and live in the enemy's camp. 
And I'm going to say that one more time because I want you to understand that. It is impossible to say that you belong to God, but live your entire life in the enemy's camp. And he's telling these Christians, it's impossible for you to say that you're living and expounding on these liberties, but you're still living in the enemy's camp where they're offering and the atmosphere and the practice and the environment is not good for you. If the environment's not good for you, then get out of that environment. You can't say that you belong to God, but still live in that old environment. You can't say that you belong to God, but you have a liberty of living in an environment that doesn't promote the glory of God. And that's exactly what He wants us to know. If you belong to God, then start to live in the camp of the Lord. Don't live in the enemy's camp all your life. Get out of that camp already. They're offering to demons over there. They're promoting something that doesn't belong to you anymore. That doesn't define you. That doesn't explain who you are. You see, and it goes on and now in verse 21, as he would say this, You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons. What is he saying here? You cannot belong to two tables. How many times do we try to belong to two tables? We want to belong to the table of the Lord and the table of communion. But we also want to belong to the table of the world. Where the table of the world, where I go to that table, it's the table of idolatry. And it's catering to my flesh. And he's saying here, you can't belong to both tables. You can't belong to the table of the Lord and belong to the table of demons. You can't participate in both fellowships. He first already told us that when you participate in communion, you are participating in direct fellowship and intimacy with God. That's what you're doing. And as you're participating in direct fellowship and and, and now uh, intimacy with the Lord, you can't participate in intimacy and fellowship with the world. You cannot do that. It is not okay. Think about what what it says now in verse 22. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than He? You know the Lord is jealous for your attention. He's jealous for your time. And He doesn't want you to share any space with idolatry. He doesn't want to share the space of your heart with something that does not honor Him, something that disgraces Him. In fact, we disgrace communion. We're disgracing the Lord's table when we fellowship with idolatry. And the Lord does not share space with the presence of idolatry. The Lord says, it's either going to be my presence or the presence of idolatry. And we have to choose where is your fellowship. Because He wants all your attention. Where is your fellowship? At what table are you sitting at today? And you think it's interesting because we have the choices that we make every day. Whether we choose to go into fellowship with the Lord or we're going to fellowship with the world that's going to eventually lead us to compromise. You see, when we want to really live a transformed life and you want to live a transformed life, the key to the transformed life is to get away from immediate danger. You want to live a transformed life today, a life where you're no longer in bondage to that sin or that vice or that addiction. The key to the transformed life is to get away from immediate danger. If you see immediate danger over there, then get away from it, from that immediate danger, so that you can live the transformed life. You'll never be able to live the transformed life with the fellowship of the table of demons. Now you would say, well wait, wait a minute, I've never been in the fellowship of the table of demons. Or anything that doesn't bring glory to God that is idolatrous is worshiping the enemy. Anything that is having you bound under sin is worshiping the enemy. And we're taking a seat at the table of idolatry. 
I pray that today you would step out of that table and maybe you've been sitting at the table of idolatry where you're worshiping self or worshiping anything other than the one true God. And you would say, I don't belong to this table. I belong to the table of communion with the Lord. Look what it says in verse 23 to 33 now. Because he's going to give us the guidelines so that we can have the goal. We're going to see the guidelines... So that then we can see the goal. What are the guidelines? And in verse 23, it tells us the guidelines. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. (laughs) This is an amazing verse. Because he's exercising now his liberties. And he says, yes, all things are lawful for me. I'm not under the legalism of the law. I have the freedom to do these things, but not everything is helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not everything edifies. So now the question that we have to ask ourselves when it comes to guidelines, just because it's right, just because I'm allowed to do it, doesn't mean it's helpful for me. Just because I'm not under the law, it does not mean it edifies. And one of the questions that we have to ask ourselves, maybe it's a twofold question, it's a two-pronged question, before we approach something, is it helpful? Number one, does it help me? And number two, does it edify? Because if it doesn't help me, and it doesn't edify me, then I want nothing to do with it. Not only should we pursue uh, the, the, to be away from things that lead us to sin, but we should also pursue the things that lead us to God. We cannot live a life that is neutral. And that's what he's wanting to teach us. Just because it's lawful doesn't mean it's helpful. Just because it's lawful doesn't mean it edifies. You see, just because it's right, is it good for you today? Is it good that you invest in that thing? Is it good that you are at that location? Just because it is right, maybe, does it really edify? Just because it's right, is it also beneficial? Ask yourself that. It might be okay, but is it beneficial? Should I invest in it? Should I really be there? I love the word edify. Because edify means to build a house. Not everything here builds a house. You want to edify your home? Edify your spouse? Edify your co-worker? Edify your family? You want to build that house? Then you have to pick and choose what you actually participate. A lot of us want to edify... But then we choose anything and everything. And no, that's not, a, that, that's not the case. He's saying all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Yes, it's permitted, but is, is it beneficial? A lot of people say, well, there's nothing wrong with doing this. But is it beneficial to you? Well, there's, not, there's nothing wrong with going there. But is it really helpful? Essentially, instead of saying, how far away from God can I get and still be okay with Him? How far into the world can I get and still be okay with God? Start asking yourself, how far away from the world can I get so that I can be close to God? Sometimes we say, you know what, well, it's, it's okay for me to go to that place because I'm not going to do something, so I'm going to go into the world, but I'll still be okay with God. That's the wrong approach. That's the wrong approach. What approach are you taking today? Are you taking the approach where essentially you're saying, I want to get to as close as Jesus as possible because I want to be as far as away from the world as possible. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. If it's not helpful and if it doesn't edify, then don't be a part of it. 
Because you don't want to be in a place where you eventually lead yourself to compromise. Verse 24, Let no one seek his own, but each other's well-being. Now he's going to tell us here. And when you have to also then choose whether or not you're going to participate, whether or not you're going to exercise that liberty, not only think, is it edifying me, is it helping me, but also is it edifying them, and is it helping them? <laughs> a lot of times, well, it's okay with, for me. It's okay with me. I don't feel any convictions. But is it going to make someone stumble? Is it going to edify my wife? Is it going to edify my, those that see me participate in this? Yeah, don't only seek your own, but seek each other's well-being. Sometimes we think, well, what's the harm for me? But consider also how your actions can harm others. And consider what it means to love others and how they receive love on their way, on their terms. How they receive it in the way that God is ministering to them. Instead of thinking about yourself, others, and think of, think of it, if it's lawful for you, start looking to edify others through that lens and through that perspective. Is it going to edify them? You see, this is a principle that we can build on. To not just avoid the harmful, but also pursue the good. Don't just avoid the harmful, but then also pursue the good. That's a powerful way to live by well, you're thinking about others' well-being. I'm not only avoiding the harmful for me, but I'm also pursuing the good for me and the good for others through me. A powerful way to live when you're not living for yourself. I'm not asking the question, what's in it for me? I'm not asking the question, well, what good can this bring to me? But also, what good can this bring to my brother and my sister that's watching me? People are always watching, even when you don't think they're watching you. And a lot of the times, sometimes they don't come to the Lord, but maybe they're being stumbled by something that we are doing or something that we are not doing. And ask yourself this, well, it's a, you know what? Sometimes people say, well, you know what? If I do this, it just temporarily give me, alleviate me or give me the peace that I need or relax, relaxation that I need. And nobody's being harmed by it. Nobody knows about this. But is it helping you really? Is it really meeting your need? Does it really edify you? Is it really helpful you eternally and spiritually? Are you investing in it spiritually? Now he goes on a little bit deeper in verse 25. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake. In the meat market, they would start offering now meat that was sacrificed to idols. And he's saying, when you go buy that, don't ask questions. Is this offered to idols? Is it not? Just go and eat the meat. And sometimes he's saying here, don't get caught up in all of that because... You understand the next verse. And this is what he says. For the, Lord, the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Because God created everything. And it all belongs to Him. Quoting from Psalms 24 verse 1. Having peace of mind knowing that it all belongs to Him. Sometimes we get caught up with so much. Where did it come from? Where is it going? And not only uh, uh, when, in regards to foods, but also in regards to other things. Say, understand that you live in the liberty of the Lord and His grace. And sometimes you don't have to ask all those questions. When you go out to the meat market. But you have to be wise. And you also have to be sensitive. But if anyone, verse 27, in a different situation. Maybe you go out and buy it on your own. It's okay. Nobody knows about this. Just go and relax in that liberty and that freedom. Verse 27, look what he says. If any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner and you desire to go. Eat whatever is set before you. Asking no questions for conscience sake. Well, what are you saying? If an unbeliever invites you to your house. Don't go? No, I didn't say that. <laughs> How are you, are you ever going to minister to someone if you're not willing to be able to go in and actually be the light in that dark place? Now he's saying, if, if an unbeliever invites you to the house to have dinner, 
Don't show up and start asking all these questions that are going to make you now stumble and make you maybe holier than now, right? But he's saying, don't, don't ask all these questions. Go down and ask questions. Also, have a clear and transparent now view on your relationship with the Lord though. Make sure that when you go in your fellowship with an unbeliever, they have a clear and transparent view of your relationship with the Lord. You know what? They know for certain that maybe I don't drink because I've given that up so that I can be an example to other believers. And when you go out to eat with other people that they understand that they know, you know what? I, I will go and have a meal, right? I'll be a witness, but I am going to have transparency and I'm going to have a, a clear now representation that I have a relationship with the Lord. Verse 27, here, go eat whatever is said before you, asking here, no questions, don't get caught up in that here, it says, here for conscience sake, but if anyone says to you, this was offered to idols, do not eat it for the, for the sake of the one who told you, and for the conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord in all its fullness. Again, he quotes that verse. But if somebody tells you, you know what, this is actually offered to idols, then don't eat it, because now they're watching you. Now that you know, and now that they know, now that there's an established now way of causing someone to stumble, don't participate in it now because of the fact that you know that it can cause someone to stumble knowing that you're a Christian. Oh, we're going to go over here and there's going to be all these things taking place maybe at a certain venue or arena or whatever it would be, and they're going to be serving this or that. And you know what? You don't have to be there, right? If you don't have to be there because you don't want to make someone stumble, then don't go. Because a lot of times when people see you there, guess what happens? They're going to confuse your testimony and your representation. I remember years past, I would really like to go and go to these, the, these places where, you know, sports, restaurants, and you have, you know, the, the, the games or, or the fire, whatever would it be that, that, you know, you just love to watch. And, and I would love to do it. But then the Lord started convicting me in my heart sometimes to be able to be wise and sensitive as to which places I, I choose to go and not to go because I don't want to misrepresent Christ. And you have, you know, the, these, these servers and these waitresses, you know, approaching the, the, the young man and, and offering them drinks and all this. And I'm saying, you know, I don't want to be a part of this. As much as innocent I know that I'm not going to partake in any drinks and I'm just here because I want to enjoy the game or whatever it would be. I, I, I don't want to be caught up in this type of environment. And this is something that the Lord will speak to you personally as well. To be able to pick and choose and be considerate, here is saying, and if somebody tells you for conscience sake, do not partake on it. Now verse 29. Conscience I say, not your own, but that the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? You would ask yourself, why, if I have the liberty, why do I have to yield for someone else? Why is it that if I have the liberty, I have to be limited by someone else? Why is it if I have the freedom, do I have to think about somebody else? But if I partake with thanks, why is evil spoken of the food over which I give thanks? Now he's going to give now the other side, the other perspective. And some people would say, well, if it's my freedom, why should I care about their conscience sake? Well, if I give thanks to God, if, if it doesn't make me stumble, then why is it that I have to give this up if I'm doing it with a correct attitude? I'm not doing anything wrong. But look what the concluding principle is. Because sometimes we think, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. What's well, that? Nothing wrong for me? Why is it that I have to think about them so much and I'm living in a lifestyle of, of pe pleasing people? It's not about that. It's about glorifying God. And if you can't glorify God that way, then you should not participate that way. 
See, these are the guidelines. Not everything is lawful, but not all everything is helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things edify. Those are the guidelines right there. Think about those as the guidelines. Everything is lawful, not everything edifies. Everything is lawful, not everything helps. That's the guidelines. The guidelines to take you to the goal now here, and the goal is in verse 31. What's the goal? The goal is, therefore whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, you do it all for the glory of God. Amen. The guidelines told us that everything was lawful, but not everything helped. The guidelines told us that everything was lawful, but not everything built a house, not everything edified, so that we would know that we can aim for the goal. And what is the goal now? That's the aim, that's the purpose, to glorify God. What aim do you have today? Do you have an aim today? When you go out with your friends to eat, when you fellowship with your family and friends, is, what's the aim, the purpose, the objective? The purpose, the aim, the objective should always be to glorify God in whatever you do. Sometimes we rob God of the glory for the liberty. <laughs> we should never rob God of glory for our personal liberty. Oh Lord, I'm using my liberty and in, 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 in the expense of your liberty, God is robbed of the glory. God should never be robbed of the glory. God should receive the glory no matter what you do. No matter what you do, God should receive of the glory. And this is a very important question to ask as well. If we cannot glorify God in, in the way we do this, then we're not going to do this at all. <laughs> Simple as that. If God is not going to get the glory in when we do this, then we're going to choose not to do it at all. Because if He doesn't get the glory, then what's the point of doing it? If He doesn't get the glory, then it doesn't help me. And if He doesn't get the glory, then it doesn't edify me. And if the Lord doesn't get the glory, then, in that, then we're not fulfilling the goal. The goal is to glorify God in whatever we do. The guidelines teach us that not everything is helpful. The guidelines teach us that not everything edifies. And the guidelines also teach us to aim for the goal that is the glory of God. In verse 32 now, Give no offense either to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Whether it's Jews, whether it's the non-believer, the Gentile, as he's referring to in the type here of the scripture, or whether it's the church here, do not offend anyone. Don't make them stumble, please. Paul says that none of our behavior should encourage another person to stumble. What does that mean, to stumble or to offend? That means it should not encourage someone else to sin. It should not encourage someone else to sin because they see you labeled Christian, allowing these things to take place in your life. So they, they, now they go on and they start to exercise these things that actually make them sin. You see how bad of a representation we can become? You see how problematic this can be? That's why we have to remember the guidelines. What are the guidelines? All things are lawful, but not everything edifies. All things are lawful, but not everything helps me. And I'm going to choose the things that edify and that help, because those things are the ones that will glorify God. Verse here, 33. Just as I also please all men in all things. What is he saying? I also always seek to serve everyone else around me. And everything I do, I want to seek to serve them. Not to, when he says please, he means to serve. When I look at those around me, I'm seeking to serve them. I'm seeking for what's helpful for them. I'm seeking for what edifies them. I'm seeking for the glory of God even in their lives. In verse 33, just as I also please all men or serve all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. And I want you to underline that in your Bible where it says not seeking 
my own profit. I want to serve people not seeking my profit. How many times have you served the Lord and want to see what kind of profit you're going to get from it? I think that we have to think about purpose instead of about profit. A lot of the times when we serve someone, we want to see, you know what, what, what kind of profit am I going to get from this? He's saying, I'm not seeking my own profit. When I serve them, I'm not seeking my own profit. Because I'm thinking about my purpose is to glorify God over my own profit, which is to glorify myself. How many times have you thought about your profit instead about your purpose? God has given you certain gifts and abilities and spiritual gifts through His Word, through His Spirit. He's empowered you to do these things so that you can serve other people for the glory of God, not for the profit of self. And what is the profit here? He speaks about it right there. For the profit of many. What is the profit? The real profit is that they may be saved. There is no greater reward than to know that when you serve people, they're going to get saved. I mean, you think about that, the sacrifice that somebody does, the, the, the intention, the motivation, the purpose of exhausting myself in serving other people and living to serve other people so that they may be saved. That is the greatest profit, that they would be saved. You see, that is the greatest reward that you can ever have, that vision, that other people would be saved. And more than often than we think, our low conduct in Christian living our low conduct in Christian living is connected to little regard for the lost. You know when you start to think little about people that are lost is because you're thinking a lot about yourself and your own profit. But when you start to think about the lost, we need to reach them. We need to preach the word of God. We want to serve them. We want to decrease so the Lord can increase. And you start to have that perspective and that lens. Then you no longer are thinking about profit, but then you shift and you start thinking purpose. What is my purpose? That others would be saved. That the glory of God would be exalted and promoted. That it would be for the glory of God and to win others for Jesus. Don't ever serve for profit. Your greatest reward is knowing that you serve well for the, for the glory of the Lord and that they would be now saved. You see, that's amazing here. The New Living Translation reads that verse, I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I want to serve everyone. And everything that I do, I want to serve everyone and everything that I do. Why do you do want to do that? Because you want to glorify God. I don't want to just do what's best for me. You think that's what profit means, what's best for me. I don't want to just do what's best for me. I do what is best for others that they would be saved. You see, start thinking about others before we think about ourselves. Start thinking about purpose before we think about profit. Profit is so short here on earth. Think about how much profit, how much reward we get in heaven. Knowing that we brought people to Jesus Christ. Think about how satisfied that when you go to heaven, the Lord is going to look at you and He's going to say, Well done. Well done. You did it. You did it the right way. You weren't thinking about yourself, your own liberties, your own freedom. You were thinking about other people and it was more about the purpose than it was about the profit. It was more about worshiping the Lord outside of idolatry and saying, yes, I do not belong to the table of idolatry anymore. I belong to the table of the Lord. And because I belong to that table, I'm going to make wise choices on where I go, what I do, what I participate in, what I allow myself to do, how I, people perceive me, because I want to serve them by the means of glorifying God and winning them over to Jesus. That is the goal. You have the guidelines and you also have the goal. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord. 
And we ask God that you would teach us through the guidelines. That we would aim for the goal. Sometimes we're so aimless. We're so purposeless. Lord, there's no purpose. There's no aim, God. There's no objective. But I pray that today, Lord, we would aim correctly to the goal. And that's to glorify you in everything that we do. That today that we would aim the right way, that is to glorify you in all we do, Lord. And that we would look for our primary purpose as to glorify you, Lord. To serve others, to live in that powerful way.